This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we talk about what it's like to be a Christian Monday through Saturday, to live as a person of faith in a culture against faith. So let's talk about process addictions. Let's do it. A very loaded topic that we might actually end up splitting into two weeks. We'll see how far we get into it. But how was your day? Had a good day. It's good. Yeah, had wanna, a good day. You want to walk through it? Uh, well, I got oh, up. so good. Yeah, it is good. Uh, got up, went by my work day, went and spent some time at my my second job. Day job. Uh, yeah. I mean, I spend more hours doing Wellhouse stuff than that <laughs> one, so it doesn't feel right calling that one my day job. Yeah, no, I get that. Uh, but I do predominantly work there during the day. Uh but yeah, so I went and spent some time there, had a meeting for Wellhouse, uh, uh, which I was glad to have and get sure. get some of that stuff worked out. Uh, went back, got a lot done, wasn't too stressed, came home, had a great dinner, recording content. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds like a, a great, yeah. great day. It was a good day. The dinner was good, too. Dinner was good. So how was your day? My day... I'll say my day was hard. Uh, it wasn't necessarily busy. It wasn't. Um, it was emotionally difficult. I started my field placement today. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm not gonna go I, for confidentiality reasons. I can't go into too deep. Right. Um, but I will say. Um, I read a lot of things today um, that honestly make you question your worldview. Yep. And I hate to say it, that by the end of it, I was sort of desensitized. Yeah. Get um, that. Because it was one harrowing story after another. I get that. Um, And so while it breaks my heart... What I mean, yeah, I it's get it. The field that you and I have both chosen, honestly. I know. Well, and I even get it at my other one. We're gonna have a law firm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, and we do CPS stuff too. I yeah, I get harrowing story after harrowing story. So I get it. It is hard to navigate. Desensitize is the correct word, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, um, but it does happen. Because almost a way of survival. Yeah, I felt like I started the day with this super high level of empathy. The notes I were taking were very detailed, and I just I felt like a, a natural, like, what can we do? Yeah. And then by the end, I was like, yeah, I see a trend here. Yeah. And I just started putting pieces together between client after client after client that now I'm just like, You know, I get it. It's just, it's still sad. It still breaks my heart. And I still want to do everything in my power to help. But the world we live in, just very honestly, is screwed up. Yeah. And the situations that our clients are in are just, oh, it breaks my heart. Yeah. So I had a hard day. Yeah. But then I came over here. Had dinner, recording content, and it has turned into a much better day. Good, good. 
So let's get into this. So if you, so like you clearly have some level of knowledge about process addictions. Mm -hmm. If you were to define it, how would you? I'm curious. Um, so I would classify it in some kind of way that it's still an addiction and that someone is chasing a dopamine high uh, or a dopamine release from a high that they got in a certain uh, experience through a process, through doing something. So it's not a substance that they're chasing um, for their dopamine release. It's <clears throat> something that they can do. Yeah, I think that's fair um, to kind of put an actual definition to it. The American Addiction Center uh, just kind of calls it a compulsive nature of behavior. Um, okay. And then it's further explained um, as someone chasing a sort of high from a behavior that they found rewarding. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, <clears throat> but it goes a little bit further that high that you're chasing can sometimes uh, lead to feelings of guilt and remorse. Oh, yes, yes. Um, after feeling overwhelmed by the consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and... That's the cycle of addiction, though, too. Oh, just in general? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. In general, for sure. Um, but it, it, it comes out differently in process addictions. Okay. Right, because it is a thing that in and of itself is not inherently bad, right? Or doesn't have, doesn't carry a sort of bad quality to it. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but without intervention, uh, like all addictions, people are unable to stop. Yeah. And they will keep indulging in this thing, whatever this thing is. And so the, the different types of process addictions... There are several, and this is not an exhaustive list. This is going off of the data that I found, um, and I, I do want that to be very clear. This is not an exhaustive list. You can almost have a process addiction to basically anything. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, that's one of the things that I was kind of thinking is I, I think you probably can have a process addiction to just about anything as evidenced by... Excuse me, I'm about to sneeze. Bless you. I think I'm okay. Um, as evidence, but we don't call them addicts. No. But isn't that what an adrenaline junkie is? In a way, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there you can be you can have process addiction to just about anything. Just about anything. Um, we don't talk about them in that way, but yeah, I, I think that that's probably true. Um, it's a large category for addiction. Yeah. Um, probably the one that is most talked about that you don't even probably realize is a process addiction is sex and love addictions. Yep. Um, you probably didn't even realize that you could be addicted to love. But guess what? You can. Yeah. It's quite a big deal, actually. The reason we call it sex and love addictions, and I'm going to talk about this in a little bit too, or maybe next week, depending on how far we get into this episode. The reason we combine sex and love addictions is because they have to be together. Mm -hmm. You can you can't really have one without the other in most cases. Well, um, and the connector there is attachment disorders, right? Um, 
But from the National Council on Sex Addiction Com- Compulsivity, 6 to 8%, um, roughly 18 to 24 million people uh, struggle with SLA. I'm surprised it's not higher than that. Oh, I'm sure. I think it's I'm sure it is higher. Yeah, I'm sure it is higher. Guarantee you, it is. Um, but because sex, as it should be, is a lot less stigmatized than it used to be. Yep. Um, and people don't realize that love addictions are a real thing. Yeah. Um. Then you can also have a shopping addiction. I'm sure y'all have heard of that. Um, just like on jokes and TV shows, right? So a lot of my data from or, or about process addictions is coming from Recovery Village. Um, they are an agency focused on recovery from addictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have compiled a lot of data about process addictions and put it on their website. So a lot of what I've found, I will be citing them, but it comes from a variety of different studies so yeah. I, I just want to throw that out there um and about five percent of americans have a shopping addiction that's about 16.4 million um wow five percent but you said six to eight percent for six to eight for sla and then five percent for shopping so we're at a conservative 12 12% of the population already had some kind of process addiction. Yeah. All right. Gambling. Um, National Center for Responsible Gambling. And this is a compiled study of in between from the years of 99 to 2009. So about 10 years worth of data. Okay. It's a little bit outdated. Um, about 1% um, of the population has a gambling addiction. Okay. So 13%. Uh, yep, thirteen percent in total for gambling. It's a about three and a quarter million. Okay. Um, gaming addictions. Now, this is one that I was not prepared to see. Yeah, I imagine it's going to be pretty high. Um, so Recovery Village says that about one to ten percent. Wait, one to ten? Yeah, they give a large margin there. Yeah, that's a massive margin. That's why I'm saying, th- or this is why I'm about to say what I'm about to say. This is a relatively new idea. Yeah. There needs to be so much more research done on this. But a, approximately about 150 million U.S. Americans play video games. Yeah, that's um, half or almost half. About half, yeah. Yeah, it was 330 million. And so you take 10% of that, um, you get 15 yeah. million. And then, you know, you get 1% of that, and that's, um, what is that, 1.5, right? Yeah. And so that's still a large portion of people, um, no matter where those numbers actually lie. Yeah. Um, that's a huge number of people that have become addicted to games through a process addiction, yeah. chasing that dopamine. Food. Oh, I bet this one's underdiagnosed. Uh, I'm sure it is. Um, So this data came from a resource of American Addiction Center. Um, And 5% of Americans, again, roughly 16.4%, have a food addiction. 
Um, so sixteen point four million. Sixteen point four million. Wow. People with an exercise addiction coming from Recovery Village again. Three percent. Nine and about three quarters. Wow. Um, million. So a large, but just in these categories. 26%. And that's a conservative number. That's a conservative number. Just in these categories, that's not talking about work addictions. Um, oh. That's not talking about money addictions. Yeah. Which are two separate things. Yeah. Um, and the, both of those things are also separated from shopping addictions and gambling addictions. Yeah. That number... It's going to be considerably higher. Yeah, I will. I will go on record saying this, and I'm I'm stepping out on a big limb here. S- just about everyone you know has a process addiction in some way. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I would agree with that. I have one. I have one too. I have one for sure. Mine's work and money. Even had a therapist tell me, "Yep, I think you have a work and money addiction." We're going to talk about mine in a little bit. So, requirements for process addiction. Woo. That was right on the edge. Um, Living on the edge. You keep engaging in the behavior um, after you start experiencing the physical and mental consequences. Okay. You understand the mental and physical consequences, and you keep engaging in the behavior. Yep. It creates difficulties in relationships. Mm, yep. Work and money creates family problems, right? Um, any process addiction would create family problems, I would think, in some way, shape, or form. I think any any process addiction creates any level of problems. Yeah, in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and you experience continued negative consequences as a result of your continued Mm. um, engagement in the behavior. Yeah. So when I was reading these, you know what I was, you know what I thought about? What? Lily and Marshall with Lily's shopping addiction. Oh yeah. She clearly has one. She clearly had a shopping addiction, racked up a ton of debt, a ton of debt. And they try to get an apartment. And they ran the apartment complex, ran Lily's credit. No, it was the bank was they were the getting bank. a loan from. They were getting a loan. The bank ran her credit and said, yeah, no. <laughs> Not happening. Not happening, bro. You have, uh, what, do they, what do they say? It's in moments like that where they use the term to talk about a large sum of money, crap loads. <laughs> uh, they didn't in this crap episode. Loads. They oh, didn't they didn't? in that episode. Okay. But... Um, no, they they had a ton of debt. Yeah, she had a ton of credit card debt from her shopping. Um, they do this whole flashback deal where she's like, "I just got in this huge fight with my mother." She buys yeah. a pair of boots. So this happened. A kid spilled something on my shirt today. Bought a pair of boots. Yeah, I just got a huge credit card bill. Bought a pair of boots. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, even though you are experiencing the continued negative consequences, you still engage in the behavior. Yeah. Um, that's what reminded me whenever I've, I've read yeah. that. That's what it made me think of. Um, and then you're still unable to stop despite the consequences. 
Yeah. You can experience the negative consequences all you want, but you can't stop. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. All of these things compound together into a process addiction. So co-occurring, co-occurring disorders um, when it comes to process addictions, again, coming from Recovery Village. Um, substance use disorders, which is understandable. Yep. Because if you have a process addiction or a substance use disorder, it means you have an addictive personality yep. in general. Which means it is much easier for you to get addicted to these dopamine highs. For sure. Um, and whatever that looks like and whatever that, whatever that means for you. Yeah. And so I was thinking about this in relation to substance use disorders. And a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about cannabis use disorder and the, the DSM-5. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did some more research on that today, separate from this, believe it or not. Um, I did it more for my field placement. Um, but they, so the DSM-5 was published in 2013, I think. And in recent years, however many that has been, um, they have revised it. Okay. And made it look and sound and feel a little bit more like a process addiction. Process addictions are talked about in the DSM-5. Okay. It's just talked about as a large category. Okay. But they have reframed cannabis use disorder to look and feel more like a process addiction rather than a chemical addiction. Got you. But since it still involves a substance, I think they have still tried to separate them. Yeah. Does it make sense? No, it makes sense. I mean, the data just doesn't support uh, it being the same kind of substance abuse or as use disorder as like alcohol or meth right. or you know one of those like an, like an opioid addiction yeah, right. yeah, yeah. It, it like the the scientific research just doesn't lend itself to and that's what they're trying to yeah like fix but at the same time um it still does involve a substance which means it's a different kind of thing than a yeah. process addiction Right. Um, yeah, I get. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, but it's still a matter of becoming addicted to that level of dopamine. Yeah. Um, still chasing that dopamine high. Um, so they they I remember I said that I needed to do some more research and fact yeah, check that. Yeah. That is me fact checking that. Okay, got it. Um, another co-occurring disorder, which. You would not be surprised of. You might think you might not ever think it, but you won't be surprised. Obsessive compulsive disorder. They're putting that as a process. No, they're putting it as a co-occurring disorder. Oh, got you. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like it logically, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that tracks. Because if you think about it, you have this thing that you're chasing. And you have to have a certain yeah. way to get that thing that you're chasing. Yeah. Whatever it is. So I know a lot of people are going to ask, and we're going to run long, but it's not, there's not enough left for us to split it up into two episodes. Um, I know some people are going to ask, what causes a process addiction? And, and there are a number of different things. <clears throat> 
So genetic uh, factors, societal and environmental factors can all influence. Um, yeah, essentially, we've talked about all this. Um, it was one of those things that I was like, I don't really want to write all that down. Got you. <laughs> so I just took a picture of it. Um, so fundamentally, process addictions are addictions to things that aren't even necessarily bad. Right? Fundamentally, Like, like the things we talked about, sex, shopping, gambling, gaming, food, exercise, none of those things are inherently bad or wrong. Right. You might have a different opinion on the gambling thing, but that's you. Um, not everyone shares that opinion. Um, but those things in and of themselves are not wrong. Right. And all of those things done correctly can be honoring to the Lord. Yeah. And in Colossians 3.17, we, we get this whole idea of do everything that you do for the glory of the Lord. Everything. Yeah. That means having sex in a committed relationship. That means shopping, right? Buying things for yourself to decorate your home that are honoring the Lord, means buying things for your church, for other people, right? Shopping can be a good thing. Gambling, I don't know how to make that a good thing. Like in fit entertainment? In, entertainment, I guess. If you're responsible with it? Yeah. I, I don't understand why like if you're responsible with it, that can't be if if God created us to enjoy things in the world and you're responsible with it, it doesn't harm families family finances and it's entertaining to you and it's a good time for you and your friends. I don't understand why that's not. And it's, if it's also something that you're good at, that you can point yeah. your talents towards God for, yeah. right? The same thing with the gaming thing. Yep. Right. Food. How many times have we had valuable life giving conversations over dinner table? Yeah. I think most of the time I sit down to have conversations at dinners they're life-giving. Yeah. And then exercise, right? Taking care of your body, this thing that God has given you, right? And then many other things, work, money, all these things can be honoring to the Lord. Yeah. But done incorrectly, you're filling something that I'm just going to call um, an unnecessary need. Yeah. Right? It, it becomes a thing that you need, but it's not a thing that you need to survive. Yeah. And so you're just meeting this need. And I know that that sounds kind of judgmental and maybe like I'm stepping on your toes a little bit. And I'm, I'm telling you this coming from a place of someone with a process addiction. There was a time in my life where I felt like I really should have gone to SLA meetings. I carried this around with me for basically my entire life. You know, I didn't end up going to SLA meetings. I ended up going to therapy. Um, but I had a sex and love addiction. Yeah. 
in some ways I still do. Yeah. Right. And I fight that day after day. And this is all coming from someone who has struggled with this, this dichotomy of this is a thing that is good, but I'm chasing it in the wrong way. Yeah. You know, for me, it was, I was seeking love, right? And I wasn't being fulfilled in that way. Yeah. And so I started fulfilling myself in that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it became a sex addiction after that. Yep. And, and so when you combine all these things together, seeking love is a really good thing. Yeah. But I took it too far. As with all process addictions. What's a legitimate need met with an illegitimate end? Yeah. Um, that's how it is with everything. I mean, SLA is a big deal. I'm pretty convinced that um, King's, uh, King Solomon. Sex addict. Yeah, let me, let me pull it up. This is in 1 Kings... Chapter 11, and I, I don't think it's super helpful to uh, kind of transpose these back onto biblical characters very often um, until it is, and I actually think this is one of the ones where it is helpful um, because it details it out, and you get all the main points yeah. uh, right That's here true. in this same text. This is First Kings 11. 1 through, I think, 11. King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the Israelites, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for they will surely incline your heart to follow their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, among his wives were 700 princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon followed Astarte, the goddess of so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not completely follow the Lord as his father David had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Shamash, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, all of these. He did the same for all his foreign wives who offered incense and sacrifice to their gods. He literally goes down this road for sex, abandoning all of what he's ever valued. Yeah. Pretty clear to me. He's got a sex addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Um,. It's a hard thing, man. Because um, that's the other thing. Um, I noticed we didn't mention it, and this is not a closer look, so maybe our listeners don't know. Concubine's sex life. Oh, yeah. Concubine's a really polite way of saying sex life. Yeah, essentially. Um, he had 300 of them. Yeah. Plus his 700 wives. Yeah. Um, it's a very, very hard thing. Um process addictions in general um, to overcome mm -hmm. because it, you may not even realize that it's a problem. Yep. Because it's just a normal thing. Yep. Um, or it seems normal. Yep. Um, 
it becomes a problem whenever it begins affecting your relationships, when it becomes affecting, when it becomes a thing that is affecting your finances, your day-to-day life, your job, your school, your, your mental and physical health. You may not even realize these things are a problem, but let me tell you, listener, these things are killing you. Um, And coming from somebody who had a pretty serious sex addiction, it's more under control now, or a sex and love addiction specifically, it was killing my relationships. Um, But let me give you some hope. And I know this is going to sound really corny and some of you Bible nerds out there are going to laugh at me. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, right? Fundamentally, that is the truth. Yeah. I mean, I want to give the preface like I'm not here for the pray it away mentality. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, 100% not. I do think in Christ we are conquerors. Yes. So I definitely think that like, yes, that is true, but don't, that don't skip therapy just because you can oh, conquer all things through Christ. It's a hard road. It is a hard road. But that road that you walk with Christ makes it much easier. <laughs>